This week on the show, we talk about building equity. What is equity? If we get really deep into it and we talk about like stocks and stuff, but if you're like already glazing over, don't worry. I do it in lists. I try to make it entertaining. <laughs> oh man, that was a terrible sell. Just stick around. It's good. Build generational wealth. Woohoo. Here we go. Welcome to Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Hoffoltz. We, we hope, hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Eve and Lucy, and thank you for being here on a brand new episode of Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Koffeltz. My name is Eddie, and we are now on our 36th week of this adventure together, an adventure that really is uh, a newsletter. It starts as a newsletter. I write it, um, and it is really kind of whatever's on my mind. It helps me to kind of process the world this week and last two weeks and next week. I'm talking about finances and getting deep into some financial principles that I thought maybe maybe I hoped would be helpful for you or for you to pass along. Uh, but every week I write this newsletter, I send it out and I hit record on this. And here we are recording this as a podcast. But also what's cool about the newsletter and podcast is that each of them have their own unique features. So over on the newsletter today, there's some Actually, there's not additional content because the show is so because the writing is so long today, and I didn't want to just <laughs> give people a book to read as they're walking to work. But uh, over here on the podcast, we also have a second section, uh, and there is some additional content here today where we kind of uh, it's called the free skate. Sometimes it has to do with the article, sometimes it doesn't. Today, it definitely does because we're going to hit on the real estate market today. But then I brought my friend and really an incredible realtor. Uh, to give us some advice, to talk to us about how to buy a first home, what uh, myths need to be debunked about home buying, uh, and just kind of helping us understand. So her name is Morgan. I'll do a proper introduction in a moment, but she will join us here on on the second on the second portion of the show. So that's it uh, for now. Make sure if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, great way to support the show. And if you have not rated and reviewed the show uh, on whatever platform you listen to it on, be super helpful. Um, and always sharing is appreciated. So thank you so much. Glad you're here. Let's dive into this week's issue. Issue 36, help for the future. The following financial advice is for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional or financial investment advice. I am not a licensed financial advisor and the content provided is based on my general knowledge. The responsibility for any financial decisions or actions taken based on this advice lies solely with the reader or listener. Please consult a qualified financial professional, we're actually going to talk about that today, before making any significant financial decisions. This week, we're talking about equity. What is equity? Equity, in the context of personal finance, refers to the value of ownership in assets or investments. It represents a stake or share in something that has the potential to grow and generate wealth over time. Building equity is all about accumulating uh, assets or investments that appreciate in value, therefore increasing your net worth and paving the way for financial growth. On the other hand, equity can also be defined in the social context as something that is, uh, that is unfair or just or not equal. And while our time today is spent on the financial definition, it's important to note that not all financial equity is equitable. For some, there is not equal access to equity, which perpetuates cycles of financial dependence. 
Yet for others, financial equity is possible and a privileged scenario to be in. And for those of you who are in that privileged position, and I'm guessing that you are likely reading or listening to this because maybe you are, please take a moment to consider how your investment could be a tool for justice and equality, as well as a tool for growing your own personal worth. That said, let's give your savings a job to do. Getting started on building equity. No matter your age or stage in life, you have the opportunity to build equity. Sure, if you're 20 and reading this, you'll have more time for compound interest and for the financial market to do its work. But that doesn't mean that the 50-plus-year-old folks among us can't engage on this as well. So as I lay out these opinions, remember, you're not too young or old or insert any differentiating factor to consult with a trusted advisor and put your saved money to better use. By the way, if you're not saving, read last week's newsletter as a primer, okay? Great. Now that we're all saving money, here are four steps for building equity. Step one, establish a strong financial foundation. Before anything else, it's essential to lay a strong financial foundation. If you haven't done so yet, start with the main things. That is establishing an emergency fund, setting a budget for your monthly expenses, establishing a budget for future savings and future assets. And while I hate to self-pitch, let alone do it twice in one article, if you have questions on how to do what I just wrote, read the two articles uh, that I will put down in the show notes um, or listen back to the old episodes. But back to today. One thing that's awesome about building equity is what you'll get your money to do in the long term. One thing that's not awesome is that that money that you put away for that purpose sometimes can't be touched again for decades. So before you, you know, send your cash on a 40-year vacation, make sure you don't need it for day-to-day life. And once you've done that, move to step two. Consider investing in the stock market. You can do this either by investing individual stocks if you know how to do it, or speaking with a financial advisor or both. Now listen, the stock market can be like confusing as hell for some of us, or maybe it's just me. I don't get it at all. I've tried to listen to podcasts and read books on how to invest, but like knowing directions to or from literally anywhere, like even my own home, or remembering the names of my kids' friends who all look and talk and sound exactly the same, My brain just is not going to understand the stock market. So I fully rely on an advisor. More on that in a moment. However, as a general principle, putting some of your investment money into the stock market is a great idea. Be it a managed 401k, an IRA, an online stock trading platform, a mutual fund, or any number of investment possibilities, getting your money into the market is the final goal. All of those things I just mentioned, as well as many others, are vehicles by which you can put your money into various stocks and bonds with various tolerances, risks, returns. And in doing this, you are taking some of your savings and sending it on a journey to ride the rapids of capitalism and to grow stronger along the way. That is, you'll be building equity. But there are some things you should know about the stock market. It can be volatile. So take a long-term perspective and be patient with your investments. There are some people who are great at getting rich quickly and knowing when to buy and sell their stocks, but I am not one of them. My perspective is to let that money cook low and slow and get tons of advice along the way. Additionally, diversifying your investments and the tactics for making those investments can minimize risks, though to be clear, there is always risk. For example, 
we invest a bit of our money via a financial advisor. Then he diversifies it through a number of channels, all of which end up in the stock market. However, we're not only diversified inside of that market, but we also send some of that savings into the real estate market, which is step three, leveraging the power of real estate. To quote the quote, excuse me, the quote commonly attributed to Mark Twain says, buy land, they're not making it anymore. And that's the fundamental why behind using real estate to build equity. Like the trade of goods and services that fuel the aforementioned stock market, land and building shelter on that land is a finite resource that people with means will always seek to control. Which is why, as part of a diversified equity portfolio, investing in real estate will likely provide the following benefits. It'll provide appreciation. So real estate tends to appreciate or grow over time allowing you to accumulate equity as property values increase. So if you buy a condo for, say, $200,000, the U.S. average says that it'll be worth 3 to 4% more every single year. That means that by you living in your condo, just living there, you're building equity and owning your condo. That's 3% or more, basically free money. Plus, you pay more and more of the mortgage, and so more of the condo is yours, which means you own more and more of a finite resource. Cha-ching! That's appreciation. And then there's rental income. Now, let's say that in the course of living in a condo, in that condo, you want to move out. Well, you could sell it, but you could also rent it if that's a possibility for you. Rental properties generate regular income, which can cover expenses and contribute to building equity through mortgage payments. So you could charge $1,200 a month, right, in rent for your condo, and you could get your mortgage paid and have a little left over to pay for property management and make necessary repairs and continue to build equity. Because remember, uh, boy, I'm lost. Because remember, the place you own will still likely be appreciating even when others are living there. Okay. And then the fourth step is asking for help. Building equity can be a complex journey and seeking professional guidance can provide valuable insights and advice. When it comes to navigating the stock market, I already shared that I use and would implore you to consider a financial advisor who specializes in working with people in your financial situation. Ask your friends. I'm sure you'll come up with some recommendations. Advisors, so that you know, typically don't make money until you make money. And whatever percentage they take for their work, usually a few percent or less, it still yields more of a percentage for you than if you did nothing and generated 0% growth. They can help you create a personalized investment strategy, navigate the complexities of the market, and provide guided, tailored advice to your specific goals and also help you work out what your risk tolerances are. Working with a professional can increase your confidence and optimize your equity building efforts. And then when it comes to real estate, I can't recommend enough that you ask your friends for a realtor that they trust and then contact that person for advice. Sure, the realtor will eventually want to sell you a home. That is their job. But a good realtor, of which there are many, and you're going to hear from one in just a few moments, cares more about getting you in a sustainable place where you can live inside of your means get some nice tax benefits, and succeed in building a strong financial future. Speaking of which, like I just said, my amazing realtor and friend Morgan will be joining us on the podcast in a few moments for a wide-ranging chat about how to buy your first home and the myths surrounding real estate. She is amazing. Okay, last thing before we wrap up. All of this has been super dense, 
And if you are reading or still listening, I'm betting on you being slightly cross-eyed or not really paying attention or not totally sure what to do. So I'm going to give you a very simple to-do list. First thing on the list, set up a budget. The second thing, allocate some of your money into savings for the future. This will be your building equity money. The third thing, ask your friends if they have a realtor and financial advisor they trust. And finally, call those people, call those recommendations, tell them how much you're putting away per year, answer their follow-up questions, and invest. That's it. Sure, there's more to learn, and you'll learn it as you go. But in the meantime, you'll be building towards the future, whatever that future looks like. Okay, that was fun. Wasn't it? I thought it was fun. I get pumped up about this stuff. I know that this is probably a polarizing week and that some people will find this very helpful and some not, but here we are. And um, I hope that if nothing else, it just kind of sits out there for the long term. Hey, uh, I want to now introduce you to my very good friend, uh, also our realtor, also a good friend of our family, uh, my friend Morgan Willemson. So, she has been, I'm going to just read you, she didn't tell me to read these things, but I'm going to just tell you, she has been voted consistently as one of Washington Magazine's top realtors for the last five years. She has been in real estate for nearly a decade, and she has been ranked in the top 1.5% of realtors nationwide. I mean, those are real stats. <laughs> I'm not in the 1.5% of anything. Um, she's an incredible person, and she is joining us here. Friends, Morgan. Good morning. Hello. It's it's so good to be chatting with you today. Well, you and I basically, what was the summer of, was it the summer of 2021 yes. when we were moving from Florida to Virginia? You and I spoke, I think more than, I, I hadn't spoken to anyone else that summer more than you. It was you it and me every day. a joy <laughs> to be speaking with you so often, but I know it wasn't too joyous on your end. You had so many balls that were up in the air of trying to move from Florida to the DC area. Yes, we had the privilege of selling two homes in Florida and buying one home in Virginia to which we needed someone we could like trust 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 of which you are that person definitely. <laughs> Thank but you. but you should but people listening should also know Okay, hold on. I've, I've just skipped your whole bio. You uh you work all over Northern Virginia, DC, Maryland, realtor, but also as I found out because I came to you just as like help me with the house part, but mm -hmm. you got deep into building generational wealth and talking about like deep issues of like how to navigate the financial piece of real estate more than just, yes, I can help you, you know, close a house. Um, right. Is it, yeah. Is that a fair, tell me, do your bio better than I would, if you don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> yes. I am a licensed realtor in DC, Virginia and Maryland. And yes, I am a huge proponent to help folks who want to get into real estate as an investment, just not as their primary residence. But what that looks like is analyzing real estate to a much greater degree, different rates of return, uh, the four benefits of investing in real estate. And most people are thinking just about income and those things, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And so when you think of it strategically like that, there are a lot of people who are more left brain and need to see the numbers and how it breaks down. 
And there are other people who are like, I would just like to have an investment property that's right around the corner from me. And that may not be, you know, the best type of investment. So yes, I've done a much deeper dive and my analytical tool that me and a couple of other of my realtor colleagues have created, we've actually taught that program to about 2,200 agents up and down the East Coast. So when I say that I understand investment real estate, and I do, yeah, 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 <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just a, a different way, a deeper way, let's just say a deeper way of, of looking at it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 Absolutely. Like when we were having the conversation about, you know, should we sell a house? Should we rent a house? Like your answer had very, you're actually had, your answer was so complex, but in a way that you made it not complex for us, mm. like helping us understand, like, here's the actual value of a thing. And that's why also in the article, I talk about get professional help because that's mm. where I hit a point. I think with, with like buying a house and real estate where I knew like, I'll never be able to do this alone. It is worth investing in the right person or people to give me this advice because I can, uh, this is, it was so much deeper than I could understand. And, but, but then you presented in a way that made it understandable. So yes, I got to go through that, that worksheet that you talk about. And it's more than a worksheet, but that full training of like, here's the actual value of this place, both in the immediate and long term, and you were great about that. And also, people should know when I talk about how much we trust Morgan, the house that I am currently sitting in, we had never seen in person <laughs> when we moved That's here. Right. Morgan, like, what did you you like walked in with like Facetime or something? I yes, yes, yes. and I, I think before we get to that, I think <laughs> what you need to mention to them as well yes, is yes. with the two properties that you were trying to sell in Florida, yeah. you were trying to evaluate if you should sell one, sell both, yeah. hold on to both, yeah. and and um, the complexity of that summer had to do more so with the transactions taking place in Florida. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Then the transaction up here in Northern Virginia with me even though you hadn't seen the property. Is oh that my a fair God. statement? The, oh my God. The buying of the house up here was just icing on the cake. That was the fun part. <laughs> I'm so glad. That was easy. Yeah. That whole team was like, oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you for making that clear because the actual buying of a home up here was a non-issue. It was actually so much of a non-issue that it was like, did I miss something? And no, it was just like <laughs> smooth and easy and chill. Yeah. It was the selling of those houses in Florida that you were actually... Okay, we're in murky water. You were not the realtor on those, but you were very helpful in giving good advice on how to liquidate <laughs> and get out of Florida. Right, you needed uh, some you needed some feedback right? yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and talking points to your realtors down there, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's a good clarification. So Morgan, uh, when I talk about trust, so Morgan, we bought this house basically sight unseen with Morgan on FaceTime walking around and us saying like, okay, okay can you look in that closet again? Can you, can you go upstairs? <laughs> yes. Okay. How is this? And we, the first time we walked in this house, we had our, we owned it already. And that was like a very trusting, crazy experience. I assume that is not the first time you've done that. Is that right? Maureen? Oh no, that is not. Yeah. Um, I've had clients buy from all over the world with me who haven't actually walked into a property. And I know that it can sound incredibly scary, but that requires a lot of that, a lot of trust. Yeah. And um, also like, being prepared mentally to make that leap. And you guys were, and it wasn't your first rodeo yeah. to be able to purchase a house. So yeah. I think that helped as well, but also it wasn't mine either. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. So, uh, I'm aware that people who are listening to this are like 
hearing us talk, you know, we're starting to talk, having the real estate conversation and, you know, I'm starting it by saying like, oh, I sold two houses and bought one. And I know it's crazy, but that's because we've been building on this, uh, for, for many years. Um, but, but I remember starting this. I remember even entertaining the thought like, Ooh, I'm going to buy let like Bree and I going like, should we buy a house? Like we've been renting and living in an apartment for a while. Like, should we be buying a house? Now we didn't, we knew that it was like a good idea, but it wasn't like we, I don't know that we were in thinking equity. It was just like, Hey, we, we should be putting our money into something that maybe we can get that money out of. So as you talk to people who are thinking about buying their first home and have no idea if they have enough and if they can do this kind of what, what do you, how do you start this conversation with them? Sure. I think it's even more basic than that. I think it starts with people who don't even, that aren't even considering buying a house. Yeah. And, you know, just having the understanding or the wherewithal to say, what would it take for me to buy a house? Mm. Having that general curiosity, because the first step is, okay, if I were to buy a house, what would that look like? Well, maybe I need to find a realtor. And with the way that most of us these days try to find a doctor or anything like that, we, we're we looking for a specialist. We're looking for maybe some referral from our friends. So that's where I would say it would be a, a natural starting point for somebody is who in your sphere has recently bought a house mm. and ask them who their realtor was and if they would recommend that person. Because ultimately, uh, somebody who's thinking about buying a house needs to find a realtor. And then next they need to find out how much they can afford in a house. Hmm. And that realtor can also point them to a good local lender who is going to help establish what that budget could look like. Because I think oftentimes renters say that they have to be in a certain box that they're just assuming they can't purchase a house uh, because they've not been educated on it. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love doing with potential buyers is just walking through the process, talking about what it would take for them to purchase a house and what, if they were able to afford a home, how long it would take and all the steps in between to do it. Okay. So help me understand that then for an early, uh, cause we didn't, our first realtor in Florida did not, was not this person. I felt like I, it, there wasn't a lot of help. We just got it from other sources, but like ideally if someone doesn't know if they can buy a house or not, if they can even afford it, or they don't even understand the process, like if they're talking to a realtor, like they should be able to get some measure of financial advice from that person. Like, will, will the real they, they should get some basic direction yeah, from that yeah, person yeah, yeah. because what's going to happen is, let's say somebody, one of your listeners, is thinking about buying a house. They're going to go online and they're going to look at an online calculator from a major bank or something like that. And that's not necessarily, there's so much nuance into what a monthly payment makes up Mm -hmm. that that's just going to be very generic. Whereas if they start talking to a lender, that lender, excuse me, they start talking to a realtor, that realtor is going to probably connect them with one of the, their local lenders that they trust Mm -hmm. who can help to educate that potential buyer to see what, if anything, they can afford. So a lender is probably going to tell that buyer, potential buyer, this max amount that they could potentially afford based on their debt to income ratio, which means all of their debt uh, plus their home, uh, likely home payment mm-hmm. can be a certain percentage of their income. Okay. And that lender is going to tell them a max amount. And then, but you're, 
you have to actually decide as a potential buyer what you would be comfortable with your monthly payment be. So a lender is going to educate that potential buyer on how much they can afford. But it's a it should be a generally like free process, right? And this is what Correct. this is what they do. They're going to give you an honest assessment and they're not like if you get someone reputable that your friends have trusted like you said before, like the, their job is to give you an honest assessment and you make the call, but you don't pay up front like a thousand bucks for this advice, right? Because some Correct. people are like, we're working on thin margins here, right? And it's sometimes scary to think, do I have to pay this person for this advice? But you don't have to. Correct. Okay. And I think that's a really important distinction for for people who've never done this before or haven't even thought of doing this before. Um, but I can tell you it's a well worth it exercise because there is a major difference between the net worth of a renter versus a homeowner. Mm. Eddie, I, I think you're going to be astounded by these numbers, but a renter's net worth on average is $6,300. Whereas a, a homeowner's net worth is 255,000. It's crazy difference. Mm, mm, mm. And so for somebody who has been renting for a long time and hasn't even really considered or just assumed that they needed a massive down payment to purchase a house, that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from the Midwest, so I, I grew up thinking I had to have 20% down to buy a house. Yeah, And that's not the case. Many buyers can put 3% or less down. So it's, it's pretty astonishing. Do they, do they have so much more, do the people that are home buyers have so much more built up because, uh, obvious question alert here, right? But because they are taking that monthly amount that they would put into rent, but they're putting it into essentially the savings account that they're living in. And ideally that savings account is growing over time. Is that why they have so much more equity built in? More of it is actually the equity of the home over time. So yes, there is extra money that they can likely set aside in their savings to to put in a savings account. But that's not assuming that that all homeowners are disciplined to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. This statistic is more so talking to after a, a home buyer holds on to a, a home for a period of time, how much equity they would likely have. Okay. And the massive difference, because they're basically investing in this property themselves and um, have something to show for it. Whereas a renter is just spending that same amount of money each month and doesn't have anything to show for it. No asset. Okay. So let's let's dispel some of this because you've already started. Like one, it's you have to have 20% down to buy a house, which you don't. That is not true. Okay. Yes, that is false. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are circumstances that lead to the percentage down that you would qualify for. But again, that's just the thing that your realtor slash trusted lender can can advise you on. Like, here are, here are your options. And I mean, I have a close friend that went through this process and at the end of it was like, hmm, yeah, I can't do this. I can't afford it. And so they waited a year, they changed their financial situations and they came back and then they could do it. But like, but they're going to give you that information. So you don't have to sit there and wait years and years and years, save up 20% and then start the process. You can start gathering that information now. Right. And I just want to add to that, you know, when my husband and I were looking at buying our first place, you know, we were thinking, oh, we need to save more money to be able to purchase. But then after talking to a lender, we decided and we realized that if we waited the extra two or three years to make that down payment that we had in in our minds that we wanted to put down on a house, 
there are opportunity costs with that where housing prices could have increased 5 or 10% more during that period of time. Interest rates could have increased. And therefore, we could have afforded less home, but with more of a down payment. Mm. You know, And so once we realized that, we thought, oh, man, there's all these opportunity costs in not, you know, in not knowing. And so that's what I really just want to encourage mm-hmm. uh, your listeners to is to be curious about it and to say, hmm, what would it take for me personally to buy a house? And that's what getting trusted people involved would do. Yeah. I just to reiterate, like I can't fathom doing this like you and I and our family are going to have further conversations about, you know, possible next steps and investment. But like, I can't even begin to think about doing this without someone's help. Like I've it's like there are certain things I can do, like make podcasts. There are certain things (laughs) I can't do like this that we need help with. Um, Can we talk about I think a lot of people, me included, begin to self disqualify like, oh, I I won't be able I'm not even going to talk about getting a home loan. One of them is one, I don't have 20%, which we've debunked. The other one is uh, things like current financial situation, like someone that's sitting in a bucket load of student loans. Um, I know you can't give like person by person advice, but generally, how should we think about the intersection of student loans and getting a home loan? I love this question. And the reason I love this question is you're right. People do kind of... uh, Self, what was the statement you just said? I, don't, like, yeah, I have no idea. Whatever you, what I basic, say, <laughs> I don't know it until basically I re- edit it. Yeah, basically, they're they're saying that they can't do this up front themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what's so interesting about this is that when a lender is looking at, and I mentioned debt to income ratio earlier, they're not looking at the total student loan debt you have. They're looking at the monthly payment. Uh, that you are having to allocate towards your student loan as part of your debt to income. So let's say um, you're allowed to have $1,500 a month go towards all of your debt based on what your income is. Mm -hmm. If your student loan is only $400 a month, that gives you $1,100 a month extra Mm. to go towards other debt, which could be a down payment or like your monthly payment for your house. Got it. And so, so they're not looking at that you owe this massive amount. They're looking at what is the monthly allocated amount to that debt Yeah. in your overall picture. And then in that case, I've had, I've had um, clients who've had hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student loan debt and still buy houses. And so I, I know that will make some people cringe of like, oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. But I still but it's still possible. Yeah. And if anything that we get across here, I think it's that it's possible and trying to figure out what's possible for each individual person. Okay. So it's possible, but let's talk like practical and, and should we do it? Right. Because there's Mm -hmm. a piece of this that's for me, this was the biggest hang up with getting into a house is like, Ooh, I'm locking myself into a location. I'm locking myself into a thing. And I don't know that I like, in my 20s, in my 30s, like I, we weren't really locked too much to a time and place. Um, and so there's just the overall, like the permanence of a house that's a big deal. But it's also like, okay, so now, uh, you know, there's the, when you rent, there's at least that flexibility that's like, okay, if things go south or I lose a job or I change a job, I can, I can, you know, quit running and I can move back in with my parents, right? There's this certain, like you're locking yourself into this. And I know that Part of it is like 
it's a psychological piece to overcome. But as you talk to people who still want that kind of flexibility and they don't know what life is going to bring in two and three years, what parameters do you give them for knowing like, okay, this is a good time to buy or actually your life is too in flux and maybe maybe you should just hold off until X, Y, Z happens. Does that make sense? Yes. I think you've asked about four questions there. <laughs> I do. I do. So you can just pick whatever you want and go with it. So I'm actually going to try to tackle each one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I would say is on average, I'm seeing with my my clients who say, oh, I'll probably be in this house two to three years. That ends up being three to five. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood is, even if you aren't in that home that long, mm-hmm. you might be able to transition this primary residence that you bought and intended to live in as an investment property. Mm. And it become an asset for you that in, that actually gives you flexibility. So instead of tying you down, it gives you flexibility. Mm-hmm. Let me use an example. Yeah. I had this client a couple years ago, I'd say, I'm going to guess six years ago, decide to purchase a house. And she got an opportunity two years later to get into a doctorate program in a few states away. And she was so happy to have had that house because she held on to it and rented it. And she was making enough income over what her mortgage was that it paid for her housing in her new location. Hmm. And it afforded her, she just graduated here in May, it afforded her to be uh, debt-free on her new uh, doctorate. And she worked her tail off two or three jobs in college. I mean, it was amazing. But what I'm saying is that that home afforded her the opportunity that it wasn't so much of as a risk. Because at the time when she was purchasing the house, she's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be here this long. But it afforded her to be able to do more than what she could have done on her own. Mm. And so I don't want it to be where people feel that they're completely locked in in our home. If, if you change jobs and you need to sell your house, yes, that all of those things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the best time to be able to purchase a property is going to be when you can afford it because it's going to start building equity and you're going to start um, having additional benefits as in you're paying down the principal of your loan so that your home is increasing. So you've got that net worth that's uh, equity that's increasing there as well as depreciation that you might be able to take on the property, some tax benefits of writing off interest. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just a lot to it that goes back to that net worth between renters and homeowners. Um, You're just basically investing in yourself and in this, in this property. Yeah. So let's talk about them that, that, because that also, first of all, if you, the the original advice of like and if you don't know if you can do this just talk about what it would look like because of, uh, with a trusted realtor um because ultimately they'll help break down the numbers like okay it's yep. x month it's x dollars a month if you sell inside of two years you would pay this in taxes like you can just ask all those questions and they'll answer them you don't have to do anything you don't have to sign anything until you have and i mean you know personally i have asked you the most simple like house buying 101 questions and you just answer them and you answer them and you answer them and you do the thing. And then you realize like, okay, if the client is comfortable and they're going to move forward or not, but there's another piece to this that is not just financial, but there's a, there's like a psychology to buying a home. And I know you know this more than anyone, Mm -hmm. but it's like when X, Y, Z happens, like 
when I start a family, when I do this, like all of those things, like how do you help people who are in that position? And what, what would you say to them that like starting this process happens when some life event happens? I think there are a lot of assumptions that people make when they think about real estate. Mm -hmm. I think most people are interested in real estate to some degree, but a lot think that they have to wait till a certain mile marker in their lives before they're ready to purchase. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes have uh, single females who will contact me who thought, you know, hey, I thought that I was going to get into a relationship with somebody and then get married and then get a dog and maybe buy a house and then have kids. And, you know, the order of those things has not proceeded like they envisioned in their minds. And here they are in a single state saying, you know what, maybe I should think about buying a house. Hmm. And then they're so empowered when they can do it on their own. And I think that's what you're driving towards there is kind of debunking some of those assumptions that they have to do this with somebody else to be able to afford it maybe not. And that's where just the education piece of just doing a little homework. And Mm. actually the homework is finding the realtor that you might want to work with and doing a consultation and just touching base and seeing what that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And then also I feel like we're going to come back to talk to people you trust, but there's also, you know, even if you don't understand what I don't understand fully with the news stories. Right. But I do know like inflation is high and are we heading into a recession and interest rates are high. Like I, we have never bought a house, uh, on, it's just been luck that we've ridden the wave well, and it has been truly just luck. Um, but how do you know how to manage that? Because that feels like, okay, do I have to go get an econ degree and then (laughs) buy a house? Yeah. So how does that work? How do you, what, what do you advise on that? I love this question because I actually get it probably three or four times a week from different (laughs) folks. Um, And here's what I would say is the headlines are going to tell you that a recession may be coming and our minds immediately go back to 2008. Mm -hmm. Our collective memory says, oh, 2008, that was horrible, especially for the housing market. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the last five recessions that have happened in the United States, 1980, 1981, 91, 2001, and 2008, of those five recessions that have happened, the one that had a drastic negatively and negative impact was the 2008 recession that was caused by subprime loans and the lending process. Mm. And they have really built up the infrastructure of the lending process to insulate itself from ever happening. In fact, of those recessions that have happened in the last five, um, home values have increased mm. and maintained. So as you hear those things, I just want you to kind of push back against it. I'm going to encourage people to push back against it because that's not necessarily the case for when purchasing a house. The yep, best there's... time for somebody to buy a house is honestly when they can afford it. Because let's say you buy a house this year and your interest rate is six and a half percent. In the event that interest rates go down, you're locking in your interest rate for, if you do a 30-year fixed, a 30-year loan. Mm -hmm. But if interest rates go down, you can take advantage of that Mm -hmm. and refinance your house. And your home will have increased in value during that period of time as well, most likely. But 
if you wait until interest rates go down, which a lot of buyers are doing, then you're going to have competition among all these other buyers who've been sitting on the sidelines, which are going to increase homes, the, the price of homes. And so you're going to be paying more for that house anyways. So I want to encourage folks that if you look at it, you should, if you can find that you can afford a home today, then you should start looking for a home today and then take those opportunities down the road if interest rates fall for you to be able to refinance. Because in our, his, in our history, the highest interest rates that we've ever had in our country were between 18 and 19% in the early 80s. That's not where we are today. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's important to say like, you know, all investment advice, right. Is like, even when something is safe, we're not saying it's safe. Like it's, you gotta, you gotta do your own research, but at the same time, you can ask these questions to people who are trusted and who are in your area that know over time, what would be a wise investment for you and what you can afford and what the market has looked like in your area for, you know, generations uh, over generations and what it looks like to build equity in this. Right. Well, Eddie, I, yeah. Eddie, I think it's, it's the same with doing any big move, whether yeah. you're changing careers or jobs, uh, deciding if you're going to get married to somebody, it's all a calculated risk, right? Yes, you're yes. assessing it. And so that's what we're just trying I, my whole thing when I'm talking to potential buyers is just encouraging them to take a series of baby steps one at a time Mm -hmm. and see how feasible it is for them. Let me talk to you about one more thing. And we, you and I chatted a little bit. Okay. Uh, real talk behind the scenes. I was at, uh, your, I'm not gonna mention, but your child's birthday party, uh, Mm um, this third birthday party where you were kind enough to bring an alpaca or a pair of alpacas uh, to the birthday party as well as a goat and a rabbit that I didn't see. Was the rabbit there? Yes. Gabriel was very excited about that rabbit more than anything else. And (laughs) the rabbit did not have a name before she brought him to the party. Yeah. And in fact, he left the party with a name. His name is Popcorn. Popcorn is a nice little rabbit name. (laughs) I mean, especially Um, because you have a cat named Waffles. I feel like food related. It all makes sense. What do you remember the alpacas names? Oh, yes. Teddy and Truffle. (laughs) And the goat's name was Snickers. Snickers. Oh, that is, (laughs) it was just a joy. Um, And you and I prepped a little bit and talked about what we might be talking about, because really this is a, this is not a 30 minute conversation, but we're kind of condensing the high points into it. Um, But one thing we did not talk about that I was thinking about today that I wanted to get your opinion on. And honestly, Morgan, we can pull this out if we want to, but there is a justice and equity piece to buying a home where I am sitting here and I preface everything I write with like, I'm pretty lucky to be able to do this, right? I'm pretty, like, even when I I cringed when I said, we sold two houses in Florida, I'm like, yeah, it's ridiculous. We rented one out, used it as an investment property, we were able to buy a second one, sold both of them to Virginia. That is rarefied air, um, and I know that. But I know that there's also a huge debate happening where you are a realtor in in Northern Virginia where people are talking about this missing middle. Um, I, I want to broaden it, but can you just find, can you talk about like when people are talking about the missing housing for the missing middle, what they're talking about? Well, I think what they're trying to talk about is that they're, for somebody who's working minimum wage, mm-hmm. it's incredibly hard and unfair to try to to assume that that person can afford to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm seeing people who make 
you know, non who who are single people who work for nonprofits be able to afford homes or single moms mm -hmm. working average jobs to be able to purchase homes. And so I think that's a a strong headline that's like to be touted out there. Yeah. But I think that's assumption that we're all making is universal and that's not the case. So yeah. I just always like to push back against those things because there are still affordable homes. Is it going to be what somebody immediately wants, like maybe a second or third style property, meaning like a single family home, that's their ideal. Well, maybe they need to go into a smaller townhouse instead, mm -hmm. not baby step into what they ultimately want. But I still feel that there are opportunities out there if you are looking for them. Yeah, I was talking to a friend last night who is uh, 30 years old, single, uh, working as a teacher, um, mm -hmm. and has all kinds of side hustles to try to make ends meet. And I was, and I, I don't think I even brought it up, but she said like, yeah. And I bought my studio. I bought a studio apartment because she's like, I just got to start investing in something for the future. And she's like, I'm going to buy a studio. And then when, when it's time, I'm going to sell that and I'm going to buy a two bedroom. And then when that's time, like it, she just like had this sense of like, I am going to build this. I did also give her your name. So, um, but like, so there is this sense of like, um, I, I bring up the missing middle piece and this whole debate that's happening here. And this is very much like about this area and talking about it. But there is also just a fairness issue when it comes to the opportunity to buy real estate. And it sounds like, like ideally, if you're talking, like anybody who's listening to this, like should be able to talk to a good realtor and get really good advice. And even if that advice is, no, you can't, you can't afford this. Like you, you can't afford this now, but here's what could happen. Like there is a sense of like that realtor should be able to help you navigate that is that yeah yeah go, go. yes it you are ultimately going to have more information than you currently do yeah and i think that's the point is you don't know what you don't know yeah so finding somebody that you can ask and you brought up something uh that i want to make sure that we touch on too is yeah. that for your specific example with your teacher friend mm -hmm. um there are certain loan and grant programs depending on the county and jurisdiction that you're looking in that help people who are at more of an economical wage, mm -hmm. if they have like a specialized field, like police officers, teachers, first responders, there are grant programs that help people with down payments in those fields that may be lower in lower income. So there are opportunities out there that your local realtor may know of that you can take advantage of to be able to get into your first home sooner rather than later. Awesome. Okay, I feel like I have 300 more questions, but we have negative 10 minutes at this point. Um, and <laughs> okay. this is going to be our longest episode. So uh, a couple things. First, if people still have questions, um, please email me uh, and we will try to kind of put them into a future Q&A. Morgan, you may be called back into service if that's okay. Uh, for I, would, I would love to come back because I could, I, honestly, I could talk about this for hours. And and you have with me and I have appreciated it and probably will for many more hours. Um, I also am aware that people are listening to this and be like, I want to talk to Morgan. So specifically, if you need a realtor in, you didn't ask me to pitch, but I'm going to, in like the Northern, like Virginia Maryland, DC, is that your area? Should I yes. broaden? Okay. Then you should actually talk to Morgan. Um, but 
like, let's say they need some follow-up advice, like finding a realtor in their area. Is that something you can help with or should I not offer that? No, I can absolutely help them find somebody in their area. I actually do this with um, clients and referrals here. If they're, if I've got, let's say a client that's here in the DC area and they're moving to a different part of the country or Florida, let's just say Florida. Um, I will find out where they're going to be going. Mm -hmm. And then I will look for a realtor in their area and vet that person and give uh, them at least that lead Mm -hmm. of being able to check out that realtor. So I do that all the time for folks. And I will put uh, your contact info in the show notes so people have them should they want to be able to find a realtor in their area. And of course, contact me. I should do the closing music because that's what we're doing. Contact me if you need any, uh, if you have any questions and we'll do our best to answer these. Morgan, thank you for doing this. You were very kind to hang out with me today and with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. Okay. Uh, as we close things up here today, links to everything we've talked about, the newsletter, all of that is in the show notes and at eddiekaufholtz.com. As always, thank you to Uncle Jimmy for editing the the newsletter. He had a heavy lift this week. I had a a lot of little problems on this week's newsletter and uncle jimmy was very kind about his feedback so thank you to uncle jimmy you can contact him should you need editing advice quick note last next week is the last week of the financial series and then we're going to do a bonus episode uh where we're going to talk with a friend who is a, a business owner about how to start a business in case you're into that that'll be a bonus podcast and then afterwards we're going to start the old school advice column. Uh, We've got one spot left. If you have an advice column question, you can ask me anything. I don't sit on some ivory tower of wisdom, but I can certainly think about it and, you know, Google things and do my best to write something. So look forward to seeing you then. All right, that's it. Thank you for being here this week. I'm already hard at work on next week's doing the best we can.